Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Builders. Pastors Philip and Michelle Still are dedicated to building your faith and framing your world by the Word of God. There are many more resources available on our website, www.buildfaith.net, where you can find links to our audio and video archives. We also invite you to join us online for our live stream services. Remember to build your faith and frame your world by the Word of God. Let's begin today in Philemon. Chapter 1, there's only one chapter, but we'll, we'll give it a... Acknowledgement. Verse 6. That the communication of your faith may become effectual by the acknowledging of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus by the acknowledging of every good thing which is in you, in Christ Jesus. Can you give me the amplified version on the screen as well? The amplified says, And I pray that the participation in and sharing of your faith may produce and promote full recognition and appreciation and understanding and precise knowledge of every good thing that is ours in identification with Christ Jesus and unto his glory. Full recognition, appreciation, understanding, and precise knowledge of what is in you in Christ. What is in you in Christ. If you don't know it, you can't experience it. You can't walk in it. You can't enjoy. If you don't know it's there. If somebody came in and you weren't home and they, they, they were going to drop off something nice for you and they came in and, and they put it in your house and you didn't know it was there and you, you came home and you were home for a few hours and you, you hadn't enjoyed it. Maybe they, they brought you a, a a carrot cake or a cheesecake or something, and man, you didn't even go and look in the refrigerator, didn't even look yet, and suddenly they called and said, what did you think of your cheesecake? What, what cheesecake? I didn't know I had a cheesecake. If I'd had a cheesecake, we would have already enjoyed it by now, right? We would have already partaken, but if you don't know it's there, you won't look for it, you won't reach for it, You won't enjoy it, even though it was there, the lack of knowledge can keep you from interacting with it. And so he says that we would have an acknowledging, a full or thorough knowledge, a discernment, a recognition of every good thing that is in us in Christ Jesus. The Weiss translation says that you would become effective in the sphere of a full and perfect experiential knowledge, meaning that not just here, but I'm experiencing what I know. An experiential knowledge of every good thing in us with a view to the glory of Christ. So because we are in Christ, there are things that are in us. What we have in Christ is not going to be identified with the mind, with the emotions, with the feelings. For us to experience what we have in Christ, the Holy Spirit has to reveal to us what is ours in Christ 
so that it becomes a reality. He reveals it through the word. He reveals it through the reading of the word. He reveals it as the word is preached. And as that revelation comes, then we can know to reach for it. When we become aware of it, of, of those things that belong to us, then we will, we will not settle for less. We will not put up with uh, a lack of it, but we'll say, no, 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 no. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I don't have to do anything to make myself more righteous than Jesus becoming sin has already made me righteous. And so because I'm righteous, I'm going to live like I'm righteous, and I'm going to talk like I'm righteous, and, and I'm going to have fruits of righteousness, and I'm not going to settle for a begging position before God. I'm not going to settle before that place of always in and out, up and down, too much month at the end of the money. Well, I'm in Christ. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And so I'm going to exercise my privilege to enter into the throne room, to receive help in time of need. Amen. And so when you know it, it changes the way you live. It changes the way you respond to, to adverse situations. It changes the way you deal with attacks of the enemy because you know what is yours in Christ. And so this is something that we've been dealing with. Of course, you know, from our broadcast, you saw that we're on volume two of In Christ. We went through volume one of In Christ, and we had the study guide so that you can learn and it put those verses to work in your life. But our position in Christ, we will be learning about what is ours in Christ for the rest of our time on this earth. We need to be schooled and reminded and strengthened, and we need to, uh, we need to have a proficiency of who we are in Christ. And so today, I want to talk about our redemption in Christ and some of these things that are ours now. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I mentioned it, but we might as well turn to it so that we can put our eyes on this verse because it is a... It is a um, fundamental GPS coordinate for your identification in Christ. For you to know who you are, you've got to have this GPS coordinate to find yourself. You know, how many of you have ever gone to the mall? You know, when I, when I go to a new mall, I don't want to waste my time walking around just trying to search for something. Give me the map. Show me where I look for that map that is by the entrance to the mall. Because I'm going to target the stores I want to go to. I want to see where the good shoe stores are, where the Dillard's is, right? I'm not going to wander around and look at a whole bunch of things I don't want to look at. I want, I'm, I'm not the kind of, of just shopper who just goes and meanders. I'm a woman on a hunt. I am on a hunt. And so give me that map so I can start my hunt, right? And so I go to look for the map. And, you know, when you go to that map, it has the different the whole diagram of all of them all. And it says with a big arrow, you are here. Before I find anything else, I want to find out where I am so that when I find the shoe store I want to go to, 
I can map it out. I can make the coordinates from here to there. So I need to go down this hallway and I need to go past the food court into this area and that's where I want to go. But I can't do it if I don't know where I am. I can find the shoe store and still not have a clue how to get there until I know where I am on this diagram. And you need to know where you are in the situation. You're not under the circumstance. Well, I'm doing pretty good under the circumstance. That's not your GPS coordinate once you've received Jesus as Lord. You have a whole new location. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. In Christ is a geographical location in the spirit realm. It is a GPS coordinate. If any man be in Christ, in Christ is your new location. You are never again under the circumstance. From this point on, live from your place in Christ. So this being in Christ positions me above the adversity, above because it says he has been raised above. Is that what it says in Ephesians? That uh, That God has given him a name that is above every name? That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, every tongue should confess that Jesus is Lord. That's Philippians. In Ephesians, it says a name that is uh, above every principality, every power, every name that can be named, right? That's where we sit, in that same seat that he sits in because I'm in him. So if I'm in him, I'm not sitting in a different seat. I'm in the same seat, seated above all principality above all power, above all. And I've got to live from that and do business from that location. And so 2 Corinthians 5.21 is a GPS coordinate concerning our right standing with God. He has made him, Jesus, to be sin for us. He who knew no sin, God made him to be sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Notice it didn't say that we would be given righteousness. Righteousness is not something I have in possession by quantity. Righteousness is something I have been made. I have been made the righteousness. That's the verb used here, made. He made me righteous. He made me righteous. So, I can't um, do anything to make myself more righteous because I've already been made the righteousness of God in Christ. There are things that I live out because I am righteous. There are behaviors, that I, ways that I behave because I'm righteous. But I don't do them to become righteous. I don't pray to try to make myself more righteous. I pray because I am the righteousness of God. I have access to the throne, the ability to enter into the very presence of God himself. I don't have to wait for the high priest to take me back. I don't have to wait for the curtain to be removed. I have a new and a living way in Christ Jesus to access the presence of God because I'm righteous. Hallelujah. So this 
is a benefit that needs to be established in my life because very often things we deal with, if a person has failed to establish who they are as the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, the enemy is able to deceive or rob from them easier because they don't have this established in their life. We are the righteousness of God in him. In him, we are righteous. So the righteousness of Jesus Christ has been made me. I, am, I have been made his righteousness. Hallelujah. It is ours now. Galatians chapter 3 also talks about a provision, a spiritual provision that has been established because of who we are in Christ. Galatians 3 and verse 13. Not only was he made to be sin for us, but he was cursed for us. Galatians 3:13 Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law being made a curse for us. Did we see that phrase for us that prepositional phrase for us? He was made to be sin for us. He was he was cursed for us. He has redeemed us from the curse of the law being made a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone that hangs on the tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ. So you could say you and I, that the blessing would come on us through Jesus Christ. So he was made sin so that we would be made righteous. He was cursed so that we would be made blessed. So the blessing would come on us. Through Jesus Christ, 1 Peter 2.24. 1 Peter 2.24 identifies who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree that we, being dead to sin, should live unto righteousness. We, being dead to sin, should live unto righteousness. That's the reason He bore or carried or removed our sins in his body on the tree. That's the reason that we should be dead to sin. In other words, it's that remote control that we talked about the last time I was here. The the devil's got that remote control that used to work on your flesh, but you've been made new in Christ, and he's pressing the buttons and not getting any response. He's pressing the buttons and he can't get you to move. He can't get you to lose your, your, your temper. He can't get you to talk defeat or doubt. He's pressing the buttons, but that remote, you're dead to it. It no longer has any connection to you. So he's made us dead to sin. In Christ, sin has no control. It says in Romans chapter 6 that sin doesn't dominate us. Hallelujah. Before Christ... Sin dominated. Sin told us what to do. It bossed us around. It, it pulled our strings, right? But not, amen, but not today, not in Christ. In Christ, the, Jesus cut the strings. He doesn't have any more access. Jesus reprogrammed you so that remote control doesn't work on you anymore. Amen. amen. You've been made new. And so 
We are dead to sins. But people who don't know that will still yield to it. Christians who don't know who they are in Christ think, well, I'm just an old sinner saved by grace. And they live a miserable life in and out, dealing with their flesh constantly because they don't know that they can put it under. They don't know that it's not supposed to respond. And so just out of habit or out of lack of knowledge, they're responding to the impulse to sin as if sin still had control over them. But when you know who you are, when you have a thorough knowledge, when you have an experiential knowledge, and you recognize, wait a minute, I am in Christ, and that sin can, can pull my string, and, and I can say, I didn't even feel a thing. I'm not responding to you. I'm going to respond to the Spirit of God who lives on the inside of me. I'm not going to respond to what, that, what the, the pressure that sin is trying to put on my flesh. I'm clean from that sin. I'm no longer under the dominion of that sin. I'm under the dominion of righteousness. Righteousness compels me. Righteousness motivates me. Righteousness is what is directing my thoughts and directing my words and directing my actions and my attitudes. So that that is a choice that we make in the light of the knowledge that we have. Amen? So it says in 1 Peter 2.24 that the reason he, he was... He bore our sins was that so we would be dead to sin. Now, I went through that because when a lot of times people pull that prepositional phrase, by whose stripes you were healed, they just pull it out and don't apply it in the same way. The way that we applied the first part of the revelation in this verse needs to be applied to the phrase, okay? So let's do that together. You want to do that? It says, who his own self bore our sicknesses in his body on the tree. Would that be correct according to Isaiah 53, verses 4 and 5? In the original Greek, it says, it says, Surely he has borne our sicknesses and carried our pains. Can you give me Young's Living? I think Young's Living will bring that out. Robert Young, uh, a Greek scholar, it says, he hath borne, uh, surely our sicknesses he has borne. The word bear, born here means to completely remove and carry away. Surely our sicknesses he has completely removed and carried away, and our pains he has carried them. So this, would, for, for us to take 1 Peter 2.24 and apply it, go back to 1 Peter 2.24, and apply the same principle of the original statement in the verse, his own self bore our sicknesses in his body on the tree that we being dead to sins should live, or to sin should live unto righteousness. By the stripes he bore, we are dead to sickness and we live unto health. Taking that phrase, by whose stripes you were healed, and applying it in the revelation of the first part of, by he bore our sicknesses, that we being dead to sickness. In other words, sickness comes, and it tries to attack, it tries to connect, it tries to pull our strings, it tries to use the remote, but we are dead to sickness. Yeah, but I feel it. We don't walk by how we feel. 
the feelings, the, the enemy comes and he has feelings to, to bring, to, to corroborate what he's trying to sell. We have to take a higher evidence. The symptom doesn't mean I own sickness. It means it's present. It means it's attacking. But how do I resist something that is present and attacking? With the shield of faith. And the shield of faith says, he, by his stripes that he bore in his body, he took my sicknesses, completely removing them so that I would be dead to sickness. So that I would be dead to sickness. So that sickness doesn't have influence or authority or dominion to operate in my body. It's going to try. That doesn't mean that you're weak in faith just because the attack comes. It doesn't mean if symptoms come, if you're feeling it, if you're resisting it, if you're in the full onslaught of that, that sickness trying to attack your body, just don't own it. That's not mine. I'm not taking it. I resist it. I'm raising up a shield. And how do we know that the shields are up? If you're believing in your heart, you have to be confessing with your mouth. This is how I activate the shield. I can be believing in my heart. There was a man who Paul was preaching and Paul said, I see that you have faith to be, he hadn't activated it, but it was present. We've got to activate it. And so by his stripes, I am dead to sin and I live unto health. Hallelujah. I am dead to sin and I live unto health. Healing comes, it is a spiritual provision. Healing is spiritual. It manifests in our body, but it starts in our spirit. And we've got to birth it in our spirit and then bring it forth. With our heart, we conceive the word. Like Mary said, be it unto me according to your word. And the word takes root and begins to grow in our heart. And then we form it with our words and we release the power of that healing out of our mouth. So for us to resist the sickness, we've got to put it in and bring it out. Put it in and bring it out. We've got to, we've got to exercise the spiritual operation of faith, which is heart and mouth, heart and mouth, to resist it and make it leave. Sickness is a trespasser. It will come and trespass. And you know, if you've ever remember in the early pioneer days of the United States of America, they would, people would come in and, and move onto a piece of property that they did not own and they built their cabins and they built their, their, their fences and they built their barns. And then when the owner come in and said, wait a minute, you're homesteading on my property. This is my land. I purchased it back in, in New York and I've been in a covered wagon all of these months to get here for my land. And now you've got your barn and your cows and your horses on my land. And they had to, they were squatting on land they didn't own. And so they had to, they had to drive them out. And sickness will try to squat on land that Jesus has already purchased for us. It will try to take up your territory. You've got to drive it out. You've got to drive it out. 
It has no right. You've got to, that's why you've got to know who you are. That's why we, we go back to righteousness. If you don't know who you are, then you're going, to be, you're going to be fighting the symptoms saying, but God, why? Why are these symptoms still going? Why, why, why is this still present? Why? Because that is a response to the feelings and a response to the attack. But when we know that we're righteousness, we're not asking God why, because we know I am the righteousness of God in Christ. Healing is mine by inheritance. It belongs to me. It belongs to my children. If you're a parent, you have authority over, I'm talking about small children. What you say goes. What you say goes. You can use your faith to drive that sickness out of your child because they're not out of place to be able to exercise their own authority in that situation. You, but teach them how to resist. Teach them how to, how to put the word in their heart and have it in their mouth. Because there will come a time when they are at a place where they're going to have to carry their own faith. But when they're young, we can exercise authority in Jesus' name. So it, listen to me. It's not automatic just because we're, we, we, it belongs to us. It's automatically ours, but it's not automatically manifest. Remember the legal side of redemption and the vital side of redemption? The legal side, all of these things that are ours by right. They are mine by contract and covenant. But they may not be in manifestation in my life because it requires faith. And that's why we preach it. Because faith comes as you're hearing it. You begin to recognize, hey, I've been letting that trespasser hang out in my house. I've been letting that 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 thief sneak around. I'm not happen, letting it happen anymore. I'm not having that. And you'll begin to raise up the shield of faith as you grow in who you are. So even though it is not automatic in manifestation, it is yours by right. And as you strengthen yourself in the word, and as you understand who you are in Christ, you can drive those things out of your life. So we are dead to sickness and we live unto health. Glory to God, because by his stripes we are healed. Second Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes, did it say he became sin for us? He was cursed for us. He bore our sin in his body for us. And now we see that for your sake, he became poor, that you through his poverty might be rich. The same redemption that freed you from the dominion of sin, the same redemption that freed you from the dominion of sickness, the same redemption that freed you from the dominion of the curse, that same redemption freed you from the dominion of lack or poverty. He accomplished all of this in his victory through the cross and through the resurrection from the dead. So we know the grace of our Lord Jesus. He did this that through his poverty, 
we would be rich. Hallelujah. So we have established areas of redemption, health, our victory over sin, our victory over the curse, our victory over poverty. All of these are part of one work. They're not separate. In the mind of God, he never separated your healing from your salvation of your soul. He never separated them and made them two separate things. Religion did that. People's people's lack of understanding did that. But God, when he set and when he redeemed us, he redeemed us completely. So the same work of redemption accomplished all of these. But there's one area that I haven't touched on yet. Isaiah 54 I mentioned verses 4 and 5 from this chapter, but I want to look at this moment at verse 13 through 17. Isaiah 54, I mentioned actually Isaiah 53, 4 is what I spoke of earlier. We're going to look at 54 and verse 13. And all your children shall be taught of the Lord, and great shall be the peace of your children. In righteousness shall you be established. You shall be far from oppression, for you shall not fear, and from terror, for it shall not come near you. Behold, they will surely gather together, but not by me. Whoever shall gather together against you shall fall for your sake. Behold, I have created the smith that blows the coals in the fire and that brings forth an instrument for his work. And I have the, created the waster that destroys is a better uh, uh, translation of that verse. I have created the waster that destroys. God didn't create Satan in the, in the manner that he is today. God created him And Satan, Satan, in rebellion, became something God didn't create him to be. But he is still created. He is still under the creator. He is still lesser than the one who created him. So God is saying, I created everything that exists. I created it. And I know how to to defeat it. So he says, I created this, and because God is establishing, I'm the creator, no weapon that is formed against you shall prosper. And every tongue that shall rise against you in judgment, you shall condemn, or the Amplified, I believe, says, you shall prove it to be wrong. Let me see the Amplified there. No weapon, no weapon that is formed against you shall prosper, and every tongue that shall rise against you in judgment, you shall show it to be in the wrong. This peace, this righteousness, this security, and I want you to see this, triumph over opposition, this victory, we could say, is the inheritance of the servants of the Lord. This is our inheritance. Victory 
is a part of our inheritance just as much as health, just as much as freedom from sin, just as much as liberty from the curse, just as much as the blessing is ours by inheritance, victory, triumph over opposition is ours by inheritance. Jesus said to his disciples in Luke chapter 10, verse 19, Behold, I give you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. Who has the power over the enemy? We have in Christ, in Christ, we have power over all the power of the enemy. Disease comes from the enemy. It's not from God. It is a tool It is birthed from the curse. It is birthed out of the the fall. It is, we we have triumph over sickness. We have triumph over every opposition in Christ Jesus because he has given us power over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt us. That's victory. That's victory. Nothing shall by any means hurt us. Glory to God. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14 says, Now thanks be unto God, which always causes us to triumph in Christ. Woo, don't you want to pull that one out and put it on your refrigerator? Look at that one every day. Always causes me to triumph. We need to imprint our heart with that. We need to be convinced of that. In the middle of the opposition, what the enemy's aiming for is to make you grow weak, weary in well-doing. He wants you to faint in the day of adversity, but God wants us to be strong in the day of adversity. He wants us to be, he wants us to stand up to the challenge and to stand with our loins girt about with truth, with our, our breastplate of righteousness on. He wants us to stand and overcome all the adversity of the enemy. Hallelujah. Glory to God. So God always causes us to triumph There's our GPS coordinate again, in Christ. In Christ, he always causes me to triumph. So if I will train myself that when I am dealing with things in my life, when I'm dealing with adversity in my family or dealing with situations going on in my physical body, if I will take my stand in Christ and I will will go into the situation knowing I always triumph, God always causes me to triumph if I maintain my position in Christ. I'm going to see that victory. I want to talk to you about how Jesus established this victory because we know how he established our healing. He took stripes. Those stripes purchased our healing. We know how he established the blessing for us. He became cursed. We know how he established our liberty and freedom from sin, he became sin. So we need to have the scriptural, spiritual understanding of his victory so that we can walk in it. Because his victory, you know, Jesus didn't need victory. He was the second person of the Godhead. He was positioned. It says, in the beginning was the word and the word was God. The word was with God. Jesus, and in his position before he came to the earth, he didn't need victory. He already had it. He didn't need to obtain it. 
He was already Almighty God with God powers and God likeness, and he was, he was God the Son, the second person of the Godhead. He was there in the beginning when God said, let there be light. He was the word that came forth out of God's mouth that created everything that exists. Jesus didn't need victory. Who needed victory? We needed victory. Adam had been defeated through his, through his rebellion, through his disobedience. He caused a defeat upon the human race that was passed down generation through generation of defeat, defeat, defeat because we were under subjection through the fear of death. There, we needed victory over sin. We needed victory over death. We needed victory over the sin nature. We needed victory. But no human was capable of obtaining victory. No human in and of themselves had what it took to be able to put their hands on and bring victory into manifestation until Jesus said, a body you have prepared me. I come to do your will, O God. And he entered into the womb of Mary as the spoken word of God. When the angel brought the word, he said, behold, you shall conceive a son and the government of David's throne will be upon his shoulders. He will be called Emmanuel, God with us. Hallelujah. And she said, be it unto me according to your word. So the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld the glory of God, the glory of the only begotten son. Hallelujah. We beheld his glory. He was the express image of God, the substance of God, the exact likeness of God. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen God. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. But he came for the purpose of defeating the devil. Look at Hebrews chapter 2. He came for the purpose, taking on a body for the purpose of defeating death, hell, and the grave. Hebrews 2, 9. We see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. Crowned with glory and honor. Crowned with glory and honor. That's the phrase used in Psalm chapter 8, talking about man. It said, who is, who is man? that you're mindful of him. You have given him dominion and authority over all the works of your hands and you've crowned him with glory and honor. That was the clothing we wore before the fall. Glory and honor that God crowned us with. So when it refers to Jesus being crowned with glory and honor, it's referring to the fact that he became the second Adam the last Adam. He became a man. Adam is the word meaning man. He became man and God crowned him with the original glory and honor that he crowned man before the fall because Jesus wasn't a fallen man. He was a righteous man. 
He was a man alive unto God. He was a man who was disconnected from the sin nature. He did not have sin in his bloodline. In his bloodline, he was righteous because the father, the father's blood is the blood that Jesus poured out on Calvary. The the blood that we were singing about, how beautiful that blood, how beautiful the blood that Jesus bled for me. That blood was God's blood. It had God's DNA. It has God's DNA because it's still alive. It's not coagulated blood. It's not corrupted blood. It's not dried up on the the altar of the the mercy seat today. It's it's red and vibrant and alive and speaking. (laughs) It's speaking. Righteousness. 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 It's speaking for us. Hallelujah. That blood had no connection to the blood that was resident in every other human being at that time. Glory to God. So when Jesus came, he came to taste death. Taste is identifying that we, to to experience it. The feelings of it, the pain of it, the separation of it. He endured all that so we never have to. We never have to. We have eternal life. We will not die. Even to be absent from our body, to be absent from our body is to be present with the Lord. We don't taste death in the process because he tasted it for us. He, he became sin for us so that we're made righteous. He became curse for us so that we're made blessed. He was striped with those stripes on his back so that we are healed. And he tasted death so we never have to. Hallelujah. So that we become recipients of eternal life. Glory to God. We needed that. Jesus didn't need that when he came. He did it because we needed it. Glory to God. Glory to God. Verse 14 of the same chapter says, For as much then... As the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of flesh and blood, the same, that through death. So he took a body, not so that he could live on the earth, but he took a body so that ultimately he could die, giving that body as a sacrifice. So that through death, he might destroy Render inoperative him that had the power of death, that is the devil. So notice Jesus already accomplished that. We're not waiting for him to do that. He did that because the enemy no longer has the power of death. And it says, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. So not only did he destroy him that had the power of death, but he delivered us from the fear of death. Hallelujah. We needed that victory. We needed that victory. Colossians chapter 2 speaks of how Jesus accomplished this victory for us. Colossians 2, verse 15. 
Let's actually begin with 12. Buried with him in baptism, wherein also you are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God who has raised him from the dead. Glory to God. That's a strong verse right there. We are risen with Christ through faith in the fact that God raised him from the dead. We are risen when we believe he w- God raised him. And you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has quickened together with Christ, together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. Say, thank you, Jesus. Blotting out the handwriting of ordinance that that was against us because we had a list. We were sinners, weren't we? But he blotted out the handwriting of ordinances or all of our violations. He blotted out our violations. And he took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross and having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it, which is referring to the cross. In the cross, he triumphed over the principalities and the powers that were standing against, holding mankind in bondage. He triumphed over them openly. That's ours. That triumph, he did that for me. I don't know if you needed it, but I needed that. I needed that triumph. We all needed it. Amen? So in the cross, when we, when we celebrate communion, when we sing about the cross, this is our victory. <laughs> we look and we say, yes, he was a man acquainted with sorrows. He was, he was smitten by God. He was afflicted by God. He was afflicted for me. He was stricken and smitten for me. He was wounded for my transgressions. He bore my sins in his body on the... Ooh, this is my victory that he obtained. This is my triumph that he, he, he purchased for me. He went and bought triumph and handed it to me. And he said, you be triumphant. I, I got your triumph. You don't even have to try to win. I already won for you. Just, just live out my winning. Live out my victory. Live out my triumph. Just come live in my my victory that I've established for you. Hallelujah. Glory to God. The Weiss translation says, having stripped off and away from himself the principalities and authorities, he boldly made an example of them, leading them in a triumphal procession in it. A triumphal procession. Paul is using that phrase to refer to how a a conquering king would take the army and the king that he had defeated and tie them and walk them through the streets of their own town. Walk them through so that everybody can see they no longer have power. They are no longer in authority. They are defeated. Do you see that they're tied up? Do you see that they are being drugged behind the horses? Do you see that they have no ability to rule you anymore? That triumphal procession was something that was a a 
a parade, a victory parade. Y'all just think the Rock Chalk Jayhawks know how to have victory parades and fill the streets of Lawrence. Y'all just think y'all haven't seen anything like the parade of victory that Jesus Christ, when he overcame death, when he defeated death, when he defeated and God raised him from the dead and he stood triumphant, the first, not just physical death because Lazarus had been raised from physical death. People under the Old Testament had been raised from physical death, but no one had died spiritually and come back to life. No one had spiritually suffered spiritual death and been raised, but an innocent man took on spiritual death and died the death we deserve so that we could take on spiritual life and live the life that God designed for us to live. We needed that victory. And Jesus made a parade, a parade of victory, and we march in it. You and I are walking at the front of the line with Jesus in that triumph. We are participants. We are heirs of that victory. Victory is mine. Victory is mine. Victory today is mine. We've got to believe that. We've got to believe that in the middle of the difficulty. We've got to believe that at the onset of the adversity. We've got to believe that we win. Because Jesus triumphed. Jesus triumphed. Hallelujah. And that victory is a portion of our inheritance just as much as healing, just as much as freedom from sin, just as much as freedom from the curse. But it's not automatic, even though it's automatically yours. It has to be activated by our faith. We've got to believe it. We've got to believe that we triumph over this. We've got to believe that sickness does not have authority here and we triumph over it. We've got to believe that lack doesn't have authority here and we triumph over it. We've got to believe that whatever the enemy brings against us, we will win because our victory is established at the beginning of the adversity. I'm never in a position where I'm trying to gain victory over the enemy. You are never in a position where you're trying to get the victory. If you, I said it there. If you're in the announcements today, if you go to God and you say, I'm trying to get it, then you don't really realize it's already been accounted in your account. It's already been deposited in your account. And you say, God, I need the victory over this. And he pulls up your account. And he's like, I already gave you victory. I always cause you to triumph. This is the victory that overcomes the world. This is the victory that overcomes the world. This is the victory. Our faith. Our faith in what? Our faith in the cross. Our faith in what Jesus did on the cross. Our faith in what Jesus did in the tomb. And our faith in what Jesus did when God raised him from the dead. Hallelujah. And so this this establishing in our heart a victory before, if, if you'll do this now, you'll be prepared when the attack comes. There, we live in a, a world that is under the flow of the curse. We live in a place where the enemy 
He is the God of this world, but Jesus is the Lord of our life. And he has, the God of this world has been defeated by the Lord of my life. And so even though he may be operating and controlling the world system and he may be operating and exerting authority in, in the lives of those people who, who don't re- resist him with the blood and the name, he's not exerting authority in my life if I don't let him. He's not exerting authority in your life unless you let him. He, there doesn't have to be one inch of your home of your mind, of your spirit, of your life. There doesn't have to be one teeny tiny iota of space that you give to him. Give him no place. Give him no place. He's defeated. Look at him like he's defeated. Deal with him like he's defeated. Maintain the victory that you have been given in Christ. Jesus stripped off and away from himself the principalities and authorities. The Weymouth translation of Colossians 2.15 says, and the hostile princes and rulers, he shook off from himself and boldly displayed them as his conquest when by the cross he triumphed over them. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. This victory is just as much our inheritance as any of the other uh, provisions that we have talked about. Glory to God. Revelation chapter 1, Jesus reveals. Revelation is the revelation of Jesus Christ. Jesus reveals this victory in chapter 1 and verse 18. He said, I am he that lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. I am he that lives. I was dead, but behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of hell and of death. Glory to God. That's victory. That's victory. Glory to God. Go to Colossians chapter 1. Verse 10. That you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work. And increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power, unto all patience and long suffering with joyfulness, giving thanks unto the Father, which has made us able or meet, able to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. Victory is part of our inheritance. Who has delivered us from the power of darkness? and has translated us into the dominion, the kingdom, the dominion of his dear son. We are delivered from the authority or the power of darkness, and we are operating under the dominion of Jesus Christ. 
He has translated us or delivered us from the power, translated us into the dominion. It's not just us being under dominion. We're translated into the kingdom. He made us priests and kings. He made us kings. We have dominion. We're people under dominion, just like the Matthew chapter 8 centurion who said, I understand dominion because I'm under dominion and I am in a position of dominion. So therefore, because I'm under dominion, I have dominion. And because I'm under dominion of Jesus Christ, I have dominion. His is delegated. The authority we have is delegated authority. God delegated it to Jesus. He has given him a name that is above every name. And Jesus has named us with that name. Hallelujah. He's given us of his authority to exercise and activate our victory. Dominion is a tool of our victory. If we're not established in our dominion, it's going to be difficult to activate our victory. It's because I understand the delegated authority that I'm under and the delegated authority that I am positioned to, uh, to authorize that I, I recognize when an attack comes for me to put victory in play, I've got to use my authority. For me to put victory in manifestation, I've got to activate it with my authority. Glory to God. So we have been delivered from the power of darkness. Everything under the enemy's authority. It's not operative in my life if I don't let it. It will try because he's a thief. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That's his method of operation. He hasn't changed. He still operates underhandedly with deception. He still operates in a way that is is, uh, trying to be subtle and discreet. The devil never wants you to know it's the devil. The enemy never wants anybody to to put him on blast and to, to point him out. He would rather us think, it's just the natural way things happen. And it's just, it's just you know, my father had it, and my, my, my grandfather had it, and my great-grandfather had it. And, and he doesn't want anybody to recognize his operation in that. And so they call it generational curses, generational curses. That's a big thing in, in the religion, generational curses. I'm redeemed from all curse. The blood, the redemption, he was cursed for me. A generational curse is really just the same pattern that the enemy attacked all of the people in my family before me. And and as long as they saw it and said, well, that's just what happened to my father or my mother. That's what happened to my grandmother. That's what happened. You know, they they started uh, calling everybody else's name but mine. 
And my grandmother would say, uh, all of her daughters and all of her sisters before she got to my name, trying to calm for me, try, trying to say Michelle, but she would go Nancy and Janet and, and Roberta, and she'd go through all these names. And the whole time, I know who you are. I'm looking right at you. I'm redeemed. Blessed is the memory of the just. Just because my mother did it, my grandmother did it, my great-grandmother did it, I'm not doing it. Do you see what I'm saying? But people who just have seen it as the pattern of what happened in their family just lay down their weapons and say, well, that's what happened to my father. And they talk about it. And they, they, they go through the details of what happened. That's what happened to so-and-so. And, and, and it's like they're trying to design it, design that pattern of attack. But when we realize that's how the enemy operated against that person, and that's how he operated against the person before them, and that's how he attacked the person before them, and none of them know what I know. So I'm going to walk in some light so that my children never have to say, it happened to my mom too. It happened to my dad too. We're going to raise up and recognize that's a pattern of attack that the enemy is using. Hallelujah. For us to operate the victory that's ours, we're going to have to exercise the dominion of the Son of God. And we're in him so that we can exercise his dominion. We have been given his name so that we can execute his dominion in that situation. Hallelujah. Ephesians chapter 6. Let's look at verse 11 together. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand. So you are able to stand. Say that with me. I am able to stand. Hallelujah. The armor, the strength of God, the armor of God is ours. This is put on your place in Christ. Put on who you are in him. Put on your breastplate of righteousness. I am the righteousness of God. I, I, let me say this. And I appreciate Keith Moore. He said recently, we need to quit emphasizing as much the different um, images that Paul gave us of the shield or the uh, breastplate or the helmet, and we need to go to what they really are. Put on the righteousness. Put on the gospel of peace. Hallelujah. Because sometimes people get lost in, in helmet. Put on your salvation. Put on your salvation. Put on your righteousness. Put on your truth. Hallelujah. Put it, those armaments of God, those enablings of God, the truth, the salvation, the righteousness, the gospel of nothing missing, nothing broken, those are, are my, my strengths. 
That's how to be strong in the Lord. Is that what the verse before it said? Be strong in the Lord. Put on righteousness. Put on truth. Put on the gospel of peace. Put on on salvation. That's how you be strong in the Lord. Be strong in the Lord. Put on these forces so that you will stand against the tricks. Wiley Coyote. Just think Wiley Coyote. Anybody who ever... Ever watched the Bugs Bunny commercial? Uh, Wiley Coyote. He was always tricking and scheming. That's why we've got truth. That's why we've got salvation. No matter how tricky he is, no matter what he has schemed against us, I'm able to stand against it. I'm able to stand against it. Verse 12, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. I've pointed this out before, but it bears repeating. When the Apostle Paul wrote this, the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul could have said, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, the rulers of the darkness of this world and spiritual wickedness in high places. He could have just combined, dropped that repetition of against and just combined all of those those nouns in one sentence. But he didn't. He emphasized for a purpose. Against is the word in the Greek language that means face-to-face combat, close contact battle. Close contact battle. We stand against. And we're not intimidated. And we're not scared. Hallelujah. Only Hollywood. The enemy wants people to have that image of fear and horror. But the Bible gives a whole different way of looking. At the, end, the Bible tells us that when we see him, we're going to look in that pit and we're going to say, oh, are you kidding me? You mean that? You mean that little pitiful pipsqueak of a thing? <laughs> That's our attitude. That's what we're going to see. We're going to look and we're going to be saying, are you real? For real? That caused that much trouble? Because of deception. Because the blinding of the mind, but lack of not, but we aren't deceived. We walk in the light as Jesus is in the light because we're in him. We're light walkers. We're children of the light. We have the armor of light. And in the light, we see him for who he is defeated. We see him. He's stripped of all power. There is not anything he has in his hands that can hurt us. Because he has no power against us. He has no, no, nothing that can hurt us. Hallelujah. Because we're in Christ. That's why we can go into face-to-face combat, close contact battle with triumph on our face. With the sound of joy and victory in our voice. Looking at the enemy saying, I win. You might as well just go on down the road, buddy. <laughs> I win. Amen. Hallelujah. Why? I'm in Christ. I'm not leaving. 
I'm not leaving my place in Christ. I'm not moving out of my place in Christ. And as long as I'm in my place in Christ, I already have the victory. I'm already triumphed over you. We, but we still wrestle. We still stand. We're, we're standing in victory. We're not standing trying to get victory. We're standing in the victory. We're against his onset in victory. It says, wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand therefore. So it says, this is why you take on all of the righteousness and the truth and the salvation and the gospel of peace. You take these on. Why? Because you are standing in the evil day. That's what we do. We stand. Hallelujah. Verse 16 says, Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all, all the fiery darts of the wicked, all of them, all of them. Why? Because you're in triumph. You are in victory now. In the battle, you're victorious. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Glory to God. All. I want you to see yourself overcoming all. I want you to see yourself standing in victory over all. Everything that you are dealing with today, just reposition yourself in it. I am not in defeat. I am not in a place of, of, of trying to grasp for victory. I'm not under the circumstance. I'm not in trouble. I'm in Christ. In him I live, and in him I move, and in him I have my being. What is my being? Victory. 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 I like how the Apostle Paul said it in Romans chapter 8, and we'll close here. Romans 8, I'll read through 33 through 37. Who shall, who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? Have you found, are, do you put yourself in that category? I am God's elect. If not, go back and find out who you are in Christ because <laughs> you are the elect of God. You are the chosen of God. You are the one that, God, that, that Jesus died for. And who can lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifies. Who is he that condemns? It is Christ that died. Yea, rather, that is risen again. Who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? Now, verse 36, he's quoting something, but it's not 
true according to us. He's, this is what they were saying. For thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. How does he respond to that? No. You may hear people say, gloom, despair, and agony on me. You may hear, no. You may hear people say, well, it's a hard old way. No. You may hear people say, we're just pilgrims wandering around in this, this world below. No. No. Those are all traditional sayings. Those are all things that people said in the middle of the difficulty. Well, we don't know what God's... No. We know. This is the confidence that we have in him. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know he hears us, we know we have. We do know. There are things people say when they're in, in a difficult situation and they try to use those words to comfort people. I've had people, good meaning, God-fearing, God-loving people, but lacking knowledge, come up to me and say, well, we don't know why God took your baby. He just wanted another angel in heaven. No! No! So he says, as it is written, People, people it, it, it is an Old Testament writing. People will say it, but that's not concerning who you are in Christ. We are not killed all the day long. We're not counted as sheep for the slaughter. We are the righteousness of God in Christ. We are overcomers by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. We are more than conquerors through him who loves us. Amen. He always causes us to triumph, and he leads us in this procession of victory. In all these things, in all these things, in all of these things that try to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, in all these things, we are more than conquerors in whatever you're dealing with in your life. You're more than a conqueror. Just take that place and refuse to be moved off of it. Don't let the feelings... Don't let the pressure that the enemy brings against your mind, don't let the loneliness or the fear or the, uh, the, the weariness, if you find yourself weary, he said, come unto me, all ye who are weary, come to me. Don't just... Don't just live weary. Don't just make it through weary. Don't just get up and drag your body through the day weary. Get up and go to him. And say, Lord, you didn't set me free to me to live a weary life. You didn't, you didn't purchase me with your blood. For me to go around with these wounds and this emptiness in my heart. You purchased me to make me whole. He is the answer. 
to the emptiness. He is the answer to the weariness. He is the answer, but we've got to go to him and we've got to drink of his living water. We've got to go to him and we've got to receive as he pours in the the oil to heal the wounds. Hallelujah. Because he will make us more than conquerors if we'll just take our place in Christ. Father, thank you. Thank you. That you establish us in victory. And you help us learn to live it. Learn to live victorious lives. Learn to live in the victory that Jesus Christ triumphed on the cross. And in his victory over death, hell, and the grave. That victory in the resurrection We want to live it out. We want every day to be displaying and shining forth that victory in our lives. 